The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line we've got the CEO of the Committee for Geelong, Jennifer Cromedy. Good morning. Good morning, Mitchell. How are you? Good, thank you. First of all, how do you react to that news about Victoria really breaking all records, uh, a new national record for the greatest jump in COVID-19 cases in one state? I'll probably answer it in a couple of ways, Mitchell. One is that um, I notice also today Geelong is leading the way with vaccination rates. So what I would say to your listeners is while the numbers are high and that's concerning, I mean, it always is concerning, the more we're vaccinated, the less hospitalisations and pressure on the health system we'd hope to see. So my fingers are crossed that with our vaccination rates um, going as well as they are, that hopefully we're able to, like New South Wales did, start seeing a, a bending back of the curve, if I can start talking about curves again, but bending back of the curve in terms of not just numbers, but obviously we want to make sure we're minimising deaths and serious illness. Makes people nervous is the fact that if you're going to Melbourne, for example, for work purposes, when the case numbers are that high, particularly in some of the LGAs in Melbourne, it'd be very hard in a way to not come into contact with someone who's themselves come into contact with the virus. So I don't know how much longer they can sort of keep the region safe from those sort of increases in case numbers. Yeah, I mean, if people have essential work, and that's probably the key thing, essential work, um, you know, one would hope, you know, they're taking appropriate precautions as well. And look, I, on a personal level, I've got a daughter who lives in Melbourne. She actually had to have a COVID test not that long ago because she'd been to an exposure site. Unfortunately, it was okay for her, but it is probably going to be case in point for Melbourne people. And if we can avoid as much as possible going into the area obviously if it's unavoidable just take precautions but I think my point and I mean I'm not obviously a health expert in these senses but I'm just really encouraged by our community and and the level of vaccinations that we've actually been able to achieve to date and it really just what I'm trying to do is look for the hope in that which is in the next few months so let's say in six weeks time Hopefully we're in a situation where, um, you know, we're able to at least start reopening sections of the economy that have been hit so hard. And the other thing is the number of people you talk to, and I've probably been one of these people that's just missed an exposure site. So they've come in and, you know, left 45 minutes before that place was visited by someone who was COVID positive. Um, So there's a lot of people that have uh, been sort of very lucky up until now, but I don't know whether my luck or other people's luck may run out. Yeah, look, and I think I'll just probably go back onto the same point again, is that if, if you've had at least one or even both vaccinations and these things happen, that's the point. The point is the virus is going to be around for, I assume, some time. Everything that we can do to, to keep ourselves safe and even go back to the original advice, you know, um, sanitise your hands, keep your social distancing, wear your masks. These are the things that are going to help prevent the spread but also hopefully prevent people who... Um, may be more uh, likely to be exposed or become or getting unwell. So I think we're going to get to the point, I hope, within the next three to six months where we're able to have a different way of living but also take all those precautions. Now, transport planning, we'll be talking to Julia Baggio a bit later on from G21 and they've put out their priority projects document and there's a few interesting transport projects in there. But I think transportation is one of the big things, particularly if our population increases, if you can make sure that people can get to where they need to go in a timely manner, I think it contributes a lot to how people feel about society. 
Yeah, I mean, transport's a really big issue from the committee for Geelong's perspective. We've talked about it quite a bit, Mitchell. So I think Julia, you might be speaking to her, as you say, a bit later. But I've got a meeting with her today too. So um, probably just take it back a step and say the committee for Geelong's working closely with all the groups in Geelong, including the City of Greater Geelong and G21 and the Chamber and Manufacturing Council and Tourism Greater Geelong and the Bellarine to develop our priorities. So G21's projects are really important. We're hopefully going to be having engagement with the city in the next few weeks about their priority projects as well. But we've just come off at the Committee for Geelong. We've come off a series of meetings with the federal government. We've actually got a meeting with Barnaby Joyce later this week, which will be really interesting. Um, but what we found was the discussion around transport is ongoing and vital for our region. And that includes... We've obviously got the warm ponds duplication underway, um, but that's just one step, one piece of the puzzle. And we really need to get an answer around the Geelong to South Geelong connection. So that's one thing we're talking to government about in more detail. I'm on the, um, state, uh, the Geelong Fast Rail Reference Group. We've got a meeting coming up this week as well, where hopefully we'll have even more information about the Fast Rail project. But you look at the connection between Geelong and South Geelong, you know, that's not resolved yet. You know, we think we need to see a tunnel potentially even with a subway popping up in, in the middle of Geelong. I think this would be a really important project for us as we are growing so fast and with our population doubling, you know, effectively in the next 20, 30 years. So we look at that, but we also look at the train station at Avalon. Um, you know, Avalon Airport's obviously really, really important to our economy and been hit obviously mm. quite hard during the pandemic. But what we need to do is with the airport rail link to Tullamarine, you know, underway, we need to make sure there's um, a level of, uh, you know, fairness around um, people accessing Avalon Airport by rail as well. So we've been talking about that for some time as well. But look, actually, can I say even, I can't say even more importantly, but at the moment there's, uh, independent hearings going on about the Central Geelong Framework Plan. And yes. in that framework plan, there's a need to have uh, transport looked at significantly. So I was um, at the hearing last week, had a pretty detailed discussion with the, uh, the panel members and they asked a lot of questions about how they would need to look at the integration of transport planning in the Central Geelong area. And that includes everything from buses to new technologies to how it's integrating into the rail line. So without boring your listeners too much, I really think it's so important that as we look at Central Geelong Framework Plan, which is about, you know, the, the built environment, you know, height limits, um, how the city's actually going to function in the future, that we have to have significant planning and funding to integrate transport um, thinking into that. So that, that's something that right now actually I'm going to be writing a letter the independent planning panel this morning just to take that into consideration as they hear their final um, uh, deliberations. So yes, transport is a big, big issue for us. And I know um, Julia will probably talk to you about the regional integrated transport strategy. And I'm on that project control group, which is being managed by G21. And all of these things need to be considered. Um, you know, we're in a pandemic, obviously, but uh, you know, with, with all the challenges about people working from home, you know, the way our city is going to function in the future is going to change and we need to make our city as attractive as possible, particularly to get, you know, ten to 12,000 people to come and live there in the city. 
When you're working out how to prioritize these transport projects, I'm just wondering, how do you mm. try and work out how much they might cost? Because I'm assuming you as an organization don't have access to, for example, the parliamentary resources that can calculate these sort of things. But I'd imagine cost is a big way of working out what is sort of easy to do, what's easy to get done quickly to have massive benefits as opposed to the bigger long-term projects. I mean, that Geelong to South Geelong that you were talking about, anything that involves tunneling just sounds expensive straight away. Yeah, but as I said to, um, I think I spoke to a minister not that long ago, I said, but Geelong is growing faster than any other city in the state and we are up in the top three across the country. So we have to have funding for growth and government is obligated to fund growth. I mean, it's it's actually, you know, part of the way they calculate how funding works. So I've, I go back to government and say, show me exactly how you're going to support this growth because people are coming in their droves. So going back a step, yeah, well, if we do have access to some um, the ways to price projects, if that's the way to put it, um, for example, with the Geelong Fast Rail, uh, South Geelong to Geelong project, that business case is funded and underway to actually look at what the options are. So the first thing is, what are the options? Do you go above? Do you go below? You know, what are the engineering issues and what we try and do at the Committee for the Longs work closely with government as those costings are developed. But ultimately, it's about the decision. Once the decision's made, you have to pay for what it costs ultimately. Um, but on another example, Avalon's very different in the sense that I know Justin Giddings is working on some pretty detailed costings around the project that he's really um, obviously wanting to have out at the airport and we're privy to those costings. So... I'll look at it and say it depends on what the situation is. Uh, another example is I've been working really closely with stakeholders around having a public transport plan, a really detailed public transport plan for what we'd call the Greater Geelong Region and um, trying to get some figures around and ask. Because, yes, when you go to ministers or government or whatever you want to, to talk about in terms of advocacy, you want to give them an indication of what you think it's going to cost. Um, but ultimately, I think the key thing is you need agreement from government that it's the thing that needs to happen, if that makes sense. So get the agreement that it's a really important, pivotal thing for the community and then you go back and do all of those assessments. I'm just having a read of your Geelong Framework Plan submission, your Central Geelong Framework Plan submission, and I know one of the issues that's in there that's caused a lot of interest, particularly for the people in Geelong West, has been the Packington Street UDF. I'm just wondering mm -hmm. what your thoughts are, because I can see in your submission you've referenced a change.org petition where some of the locals are disappointed about the uh, height limit increase. Yeah, no, no, really interesting conversation. So the Packington and Gordon Avenue UDF, it's, they've got their, what is it, interim draft final and um, those submissions were wrapped up about a week ago. So the Committee for Geelong made a submission, but what we thought was important was to bring that issue of that consultation to the awareness of the Central Geelong Framework Plan panel members because basically in Central Geelong, um, you know, there's a there's a vision that we have 10 to 12,000 people living there as residents, but part of the City of Greater Geelong's planning is that we need to be able to cater for 73,000, there's a figure in there, 73,400 dwellings to cater for the predicted population increase, but 50% of the new dwellings need to be delivered through infill development by 2047. So when we say infill development, it's like going to existing, you know, areas and actually building new residential options. So that means density effectively in the city. So what we're trying to say to the Central Geelong Framework Plan panel is that 
if there's pressure um, put on council where the amount of residential dwellings that we were looking for in the Packington Street area aren't realised, it's going to mean we're going to have to have more people living in the CBD area. So we're just trying to make sure that the panel's aware of everything that's going on in the region that could impact on the ability for Geelong to actually have enough dwellings. That includes social housing, affordable housing, and you look at the prices um, of residential dwellings in the region and they're skyrocketing. And you also look at, there was a report from the UDIA about land supply and there's a significant amount of evidence to say that Geelong really is looking at a dire situation in the next two to five years around access to land supply. Now, that's because of, partly, the increased demand that we've had in the last few years where land lots out at Armstrong Creek and other growth areas are just selling as fast as they're putting out on the market. So you look at these pressures and what we're trying to do at the Committee for Geelong is raise awareness of those pressures, which means we may need to start really rethinking how the city is going to cater for all of those extra dwellings. Um, from a Committee for Geelong perspective with the Packington Street area, we just have concerns more generally that some of the pressures on um, the heights in that area are going to mean that development won't be viable. That's essentially the argument. So to sum this up for our listeners, I'm just wondering where would you as the Committee for Geelong like to see the central Geelong area in the next, say, five to ten years compared to where it is now? Oh, a lot, look, there's probably two things. Number one, we need to address the buses and or the public transport network in the city, hence why we're really going hard on getting a, a plan for that, which means we need to have the buses completely reviewed in terms of their routes, how it works, to make it easier for people to get into the city. I mean, I hear so many case studies of people saying we can't even get connecting services to get our kids to school on time or to get, you know, whatever it might be, access to the facility that they need to even connect into the, the ferry on the waterfront. So we know that there's an issue there. Um, you won't be surprised, Mitchell, but we're still very keen on looking at a trackless tram type technology during the week. Roeville, I don't know if you saw this, but five councils in the Roeville area, um, they've had a long-term need for a rail line. They're mm. actually saying, put it into trackless trams. Um, I know the state government's having a good look at this. Um, the Committee for Geelong's done some work with Urbis on a route um, that would be a trial route for a trackless tram type technology. And we've even done some initial costings, which the government is looking at. So if you look at that, with buses, that would be a huge transformation that would make the city, obviously, I think, more appealing for people when they want to come in. It gives them a different mode of transport to consider getting in and around the city as well, which means you would have, hopefully, um, greater attraction for a private investment in terms of whether it's commercial and residential, and then ultimately getting a lot more people to live in the city. That will help counteract the lack of workers coming in during the wait day because if you have ten to 12,000 people living in the city, you're going to actually have a market there for your retail and hospitality businesses who have suffered so much. And I think we hear a lot about tourism generally, but if you think about the city, those nine-to-five commuters create a lot of spend in the city that has basically, you know, been diminished significantly. So getting really innovative and well-coordinated public transport in the city as well as getting more residents living in the city. They're the two main things. In terms of that trackless tram route, what is the uh, proposed route or the draft route? Is it uh, running sort of along Morrible Street and up and over the hill there or something else? 
Yeah, we're looking at, and this is for a trial, so this is really to get the technology um, out and about and get the um, technology assessed. So it's actually, you know, just getting at least piloted. But the route we're looking at, um, if you know Tri Boys out near um, Boundary Road, you'd actually have a park and ride service there because the trackless tram would need a place to stable, charge, etc. So even kicking it off there so people can park and ride, catch it, into the city, and for memory, there is a section that does go to Murrabool, but we end up not taking it all the way across the river. If we're doing a trial, it would be around the South Geelong Station to pick up GMHBA Stadium. So you could actually go Murrabool, you'd pick up, you know, potentially, you know, the waterfront, obviously. It would then be able to go to the Geelong Train Station and weave its way through the city to South Geelong. So the Triboys area to the Geelong Station and up to South Geelong would be, I suppose, the, the whirling loop. And we've had transport engineers come up with a, a route that would work with the current technology. And really it's now um, we're having discussions to see if, if that trial can be funded. So fingers crossed, you never know. You never know, Mitchell. I'm really hoping that because there's so much interest across the state and the country, I mean, you've got Perth doing um, a pretty significant deep dive into the technology. I've spoken to City of Stirling. They've got $2 million from the federal government to investigate the technology, you've got um, Liverpool Council in Sydney looking at it for the new airport um, and you've also got um, Wyndham and, as I mentioned, the Roville area. So, I mean, we did come out pretty early with this idea, which is all well and good, but, you know, now we've actually got, and I, I say things like traction and you think about all the puns of the transport, but certainly I think it's something that um, all levels of government are looking at really closely and I just think, why not Geelong? Well, thanks very much for being on the program and we'll talk to you again next month. Thanks, Mitchell. Hope you're okay. Thank you. Yes, not too bad. Thank you. Jennifer Cromedy there, the CEO of the Committee for Geelong. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts.